Welcome to Mazum Gumzo, African Scholarly Conversations, a podcast that highlights the perspectives of various stakeholders in academia and research fields across Africa through open dialogue on Mazum Gumzo on scholarly communication in Africa. Today's episode features an engaging workshop on the topic Advocating for Capacity Building in Open Access and Open Science to Top Management Staff in African Higher Education Institutions. Leading the discussions are Rohina Anand of PLOS, Anna Persich of UNESCO, Geoffrey Bolton from the International Science Council, Olushala Bandele Oyewole, the Secretary General of the Association of African Universities, Shiamo Moshegwa, the Director at African Open Science Platform, Macantoni Kobla, the Chair, Academic and Special Libraries at African Library and Information Associations and Institutions, APLIA, Abednego Kotli of the African Association of Universities, and Joy Owango of TCC Africa. Okay, so we want to welcome everyone here to this morning's meeting. Before I start off, let me tell a short story. In the 50s, a lady who was typist invented what was known as the liquid paper in her kitchen and called it mistake out. The idea was that she was going to use that to correct the mistakes she did whenever she was typing on her machine. Eventually, the liquid fluid called mistake out, probably known today as the correction fluid, became a tool for people to abuse and to alter data and end up giving fraudulent research results. Moving forward from the paper era to the current electronic era, we have such things as Photoshop that can allow people to alter their research findings, alter even photographic images of spectrum or spectra developed in their lab research to come out with findings that are not supported. Why am I speaking about this? How has technology impacted on the way research is given out? With this, I want to welcome all of you to our maiden meeting, Advocacy for Advocacy and Capacity Building on Open Science in particular. What is open science? How does it impact on research, does it mean that it does it precludes peer reviewing process? What I mean is, when we talk about open science, does it mean that peer reviewing will be taken out of the process of research? Why are we in Africa not implementing open science practices in our research processes? These are questions that we need to be talking about. These are the things I want us to be focusing on during this meeting. 
at the end of the meeting. You're welcome. At the end of the meeting, we would want to have solutions on how we can begin to implement open science practices within our research processes on the continent. What timelines do we need? What do we need to do to be able to implement such processes? Um, it's going to be some discussions in the front first. Then afterwards, we will have engagements. And during those engagements, we want to have as much interaction as possible, as much guidance, as much pointers from all the participants who are here. So at the end of the meeting, we will know where we are moving towards implementing open science policies or processes within our research community. To moderate this meeting for us today is Joy Owango. Who is Joy Owango? Is a skilled person in management and a business strategist, an experienced award-winning founder and director with a demonstrated history of supporting area career researchers. She is experienced in creating and building collaborations between industry, academia, and government. Currently, she is the executive director of the Training Center in Communications, an NGO that is working with the University of Nairobi with the objective to create a support system to help researchers disseminate their research findings. She sits on the board for African Archive, a platform which provides a free preprint service for African scientists. She is a research metrics guru and an advocate in matters relating to research capacity in higher education, research analytics, donor and government relations. She believes firmly that open science is one or is a path to fulfilling SDG number four. Ladies and gentlemen, and the steam August house, uh, let's welcome Joy Owango to moderate this session for us. Joy, you are welcome. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, uh, Abednego, for the kind words. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, um, this is the beginning of a four-part regional blended workshop that we are going to be hosting on um, advocacy on open science within universities in uh, amongst the African Union, African Association of African University members. One of the things that we noticed uh, as, as higher education stakeholders and open uh, and higher education stakeholders and open open science stakeholders was due to the lack of, an, of awareness and understanding on open science, there was on understanding what entails open science, there's been pushback on the adoption on open science. And in order for universities to increase their visibility, uh, produce, uh, produce improved better, uh, improved research output, open science is one of the ways that can help in mitigating this, this challenge. And we feel it is essential for the higher education, uh, the leadership within universities. So namely a library, uh, head of libraries, research directors, vice chancellors, rectors or presidents to work as a team in order to 
to see ways in which they can use open science or adopt open science in aiding them in increasing their visibility. Whether you're looking at university rankings, whether you're going to use it to, to increase your collaborations, whether you're going to use it for, uh, for improved journal selection strategy, or whether you're going to use it to produce, uh, to produce, to improve the research output coming out of your university, you'll realize that open science is one of the ways that can help in supporting the university ecosystem. So there's a need to work together. Gone are the days when um, the discussion on open science was a librarian's uh, job. No, it is now the job of the leadership within the university such that they are one voice when it comes to supporting the ecosystem within their academic community. Without further ado, I would like to introduce the the, uh, the the ES, the executive, uh, the executive director, executive secretary of of the Association of African Universities, who is going to open the session with, uh, is going to open the session and has been pushing for this series of workshops that we are going to be hosting with the first one beginning uh, in June, targeting Eastern and Central Africa. And with the, the next one's planned for Northern Africa, which will be hosted in, in Cairo. And the subsequent ones will be hosted in South Africa. And the final one being hosted in West Africa. So we are being strategic by working with the university members in each of the regions so that we can effectively support um, the leadership within these, within these universities so that we're able to ans ask ourselves the following questions. What is impeding us from adopting open science mandates within our universities? What needs to be done as leadership and what, do we, and what timelines do we need to, to have in order to successfully adopt these uh, open science mandates? Also, another thing is, it's also good to know what our concerns are, what is stopping us from, from, uh, from, from adopting these open science mandates. What are the, the global recommendations uh, stay, uh, saying in regards to open science mandates and how can these recommendations, uh, global uh, recommendations support us, uh, support uh, our academic, un, un, um, academic communities. So this is what we are going to go through. So this is literally going to be an interactive, se uh, interactive session and we have uh, a series of speakers, both international and regional speakers, to give us an overview of what is happening in open science from a global perspective. Then we are going to have an idea, uh, uh, an idea of what is happening at a regional, and most likely when I say regional, we're looking at continental perspective. And without further ado, I'd like this session to be opened by the Executive Secretary of the Association of African University Universities, and that is Professor Olusola Oyewole, and he is, an, he is a high education practitioner with over 35 years of teaching and research experience. He's had his first he had his first degree at uh, the University of Ife, Ileife, Nigeria, which is now currently OA Yobafemi Awolowo University, and holds a doctorate from the University of Ibadan. He was once a senior ex expert on higher education at the African Union in Addis Ababa in Ethiopia and has served as a project officer and coordinator for the World Bank project on quality assurance from Afri uh, for African universities at the Association of African Universities in Accra. Within the past many years, he has developed interest in various aspects of higher education, including leadership, quality assurance, internationalization, 
harmonization, accreditation, and the African credit systems. He is currently the cluster leader of the research and graduate studies in the African Continental Educational Strategy for Africa, CESA. And he has also provided leadership for many educational projects in Africa and, very con and he's very con conversant with the various edu higher education initiatives in Africa, particularly in the last um, 15 years. So over to you, Professor uh, Oyowele. I want to thank you, Joy Wangu, for that introduction and want to thank you for your commitment to open science over the years. Uh, Vice Chancellors, Presidents and Rectors from Africa and beyond, Deputy Vice Chancellors, Directors of Research and Library Services, Professors and Fellow academic, Academicians, Liberians, Participants from the Research Community and the Industry, and let me say Open Science Practitioners, Students, and all protocols duly observed. I welcome you to this virtual meeting, which is focusing on the importance an improvement of open science practices in our research processes in Africa. I'm aware of the misunderstandings surrounding the concept of open science. To some, open science connotes publication of science without going through the scientifically recognized peer review process. This is far from the truth. Open science has been described as the practice of science in such a way that others can collaborate and contribute where research data, lab notes, and other research processes are freely available under terms that enable reuse, redistribution, and reproduction of research, and its underlying data and methods. The UNESCO recommendation on open science defines open science as a movement aimed at making scientific research more transparent, efficient, and democratic while making the final work along with its various supporting data and methodologies findable and accessible. Indeed, the International Science Council in 2020 defines open science as the science that is open to scrutiny and challenge and to the knowledge needs and interests of wider public. Ladies and gentlemen, open science does not allow a scientist to publish science without the complementary peer review process. Rather, Open science demands that the scientist makes available the data and evidence of science so that the claims can be verified or made reusable by all, subject to constraints of safety, security, and privacy. Let me share with you what open science entails. Number one, it entails open data, whereby the research data is freely made available on the internet for anyone to assess, to distribute without any legal or financial restriction. In this way, you are open with your data. Another thing that open science involves is open methodology, which refers to opening up methods that are used by researchers to achieve scientific results and make them publicly available. Open science also involves open notebooks, which is the practice of making the entire primary records of a research project publicly available online as it is recorded. Ladies and gentlemen, open science is something that will help us. It means making, giving free access to information and giving unrestricted access to people who want to access the data and the contents of your research work. 
I need to make this very clear that open science is a key tool for academic cooperation and information sharing and provides data upon which inclusive policy could be made in research and in science. Open science has risen to the top of the international scientific agenda because of its relevance for research and equal access to knowledge and scientific production. I believe that those of us in Africa should not lose out on this important avenue through which we can benefit from research from any part of the world. I want this to be clear. Open science is not open access. Even though there's nothing wrong with open access, but open access, open science makes scientific and technological knowledge accessible to all by ensuring that scientists, publishing scientists, scientific resource, deposit their research data, their lab notes, and other research processes in recognized and secured and recognized platforms, repositories, or networks before they are published. This will make it possible for scientific information, data, workflows, and outputs to be more widely findable and accessible and more reliably harnessed with the active engagement of all the stakeholders in the open science society. As I mentioned earlier on, contrary to popular opinion that open science prevents the peer review process, open science rather improves the peer review process. This is ensured by requesting that the researcher makes openly available all supporting data and workflows related to the research so that others can also test out the process and the analysis. Which, with such data being available, there will be no doubt that any anonymous reviewer will be more cautious in their review work since others can counter their, reg their recommendation. So open science really is a process that is helping open a peer review process. When I et al. 2020 reported that there are some barriers to open science development in Africa. And these scientists indicated that the system will help to cure the African science system, which largely operates independently of each other, creating silos of incompatible policies, practices, and data sets that are not mutually consistent or interoperable. It is believed that open science will provide a solution to the weak scientific system of African scientists community that operates in the past in isolation and makes it difficult to create the necessary collaboration that will help us to create the economy of scale and generate impact in communities across Africa. I believe that for us to make our science to be available to the world, for our science to make impact in our community, open science is the way out. To promote open science in Africa, there is still a need to educate African researchers about the importance and benefits of this process. Many researchers have little trust in open science with regards to the ownership of the results, the intellectual property, and the lack of adequate human and infrastructure capacity in ICT to handle open science system in many African communities. One other major limitation to open science in Africa is the fact that the recognized platforms, repositories, and networks dedicated to the open science process are not many in Africa. I believe that with this understanding that we are creating now, many of these 
will be developed in the African continent. This lack of research and database repositories and journals dedicated to open science in Africa is one of the major issues that need to be addressed. If this is not done in this era of internet superhighway and the abundance of information, the African continent will continue to suffer from the difficulty in assessing research findings that emanates from our own research and the academic institution. The Association of African Universities has, and we continue to educate, to advocate for the adoption of open science by African higher education institutions with the objective of increasing research outputs, research visibility, research reproducibility and reuse. To support the adoption and development of these policies and mandates, AAU with the Public Library of Science and the Training Center for Communication, we hold series of open science workshops this year across Africa. This one we are, um, we are having now is just the beginning. These workshops aims, aim to create awareness and education on the importance of open science and implementation of best practices. The desired outcomes of these workshops are the following. One, we hope that it will increase, if we increase awareness on open science and open access in the AAU member academic community. Two, it will increase adoption of the open science practices in our research processes, including research involving postgraduate students. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining in today's meeting. Through today's meeting, we are alerting you as CEOs and academies of higher institutions in Africa about these upcoming workshops that will follow that of today. I welcome you once again to this meeting, and I hope that you will contribute effectively to the discussions so that we jointly come out with strong convictions to support the acceptance of and implementation of open science practices in the African research process. I thank you for your attention. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, uh, Professor Oyewole. Now we'll just get right to it. And uh, we are going to have an international, uh, rather a global perspective on open science. And with us is uh, Dr. Anna Pasek from UNESCO, who is going to take us through uh, more about the UNESCO open uh, recommendations on open science. Anna, over to you. Thank you very much, uh, Joy, and, and very many thanks for this, uh, for this initiative to the AAU, to, to TTC, and also to PLOS, uh, to making this possible and to having this conversation with uh, chancellors, vice chancellors, universities uh, on the continent. I think it's very, very timely and very important, and we're very grateful for the opportunity also to be part of this conversation. So I'm just going to share. Um, my screen and I hope that you can all see it uh, properly and, and, and I'm just going to spend a little bit of time uh, telling you about um, the UNESCO recommendation on open science. So um, some of you may be aware uh, that in, in November last year the UNESCO General Conference which is composed of 193 member states adopted this new policy guidance policy instrument on open science of a global nature precisely to help the different actors of open science to, um, uh, to elaborate and to operationalize open science in their different domains. 
But maybe just before I start presenting the recommendation, I would like to just tell you why open science is a priority for UNESCO. Knowing that UNESCO, of course, is the UN agency in charge of science, and the UN agency also in charge of education and culture. And we really, within UNESCO, see open science, as it was said um, by the previous speakers, as, as, as a movement that transforms and democratizes the entire scientific process. It allows the scientific information, data, and output, outputs to be more accessible and more of use both to the scientists, but also to the non-scientists and the society um, as a whole. But we also really see open science as a very good potential tool for reaching not only SDG 4, the Sustainable Development Goal 4, but also all the other SDGs, because we do know that without science, it's basically impossible to really fulfill and achieve Sustainable Development Goals in their entirety. And open science can really be um, uh, an additional an additional tool accelerator for the achievement of uh, sustainable development goals. We also, of course, see open science as uh, a tool to fulfill human rights to science um, and, and just to bridge the science technology innovation gaps that is, exist between, uh, between nations and within nations. And we really saw, I think, with COVID-19, how important it is to have access to information, timely access to information, accessible, accessible information and data, how important it is for scientists across the world to be able to share information quickly, and how important it is for that information to come out to the rest of the world also relatively quickly. So I think with the, with the example of COVID, we really have a, a demonstration of the importance of open science as well. In UNESCO, we've been working on, on open science for some time now, and we actually saw a lot of different movements of open science, open access, citizen science, all different types, open data coming up in different parts of the world for the past, let's say two decades or so. But we don't have an international policy and action framework for open science, or better, we didn't have it until the UNESCO recommendation. And the different member states in UNESCO while very convinced about open science as a movement, did need this common definition of open science, a shared set of values and principles to really uh, promote this concept even further within their countries. So that's why in November uh, in 2019, so um, uh, two and a half years ago, the UNESCO General Conference tasked the organization to come up with this recommendation. And so for two years, we've held a series of consultations in different regions, on different continents, with different actors, we realized how many people are involved and need to be involved in open science to make it a reality. Universities, libraries, uh, learned societies, publishers, um, uh, data community, this, these are all very important actors in, in, in the open science movement. So we try to collect their views on what open science is and what it should be. And we came up with this text that was adopted, negotiated by member states, 193 member states negotiated their text, and then finally adopted it in November um, last year. And as I said, it was adopted by consensus. The member states really are keen, were keen on coming up with a text um, that is acceptable for everybody and that can be useful for them to move on and, and, and move forward with um, open science in practice very, um, member states were very, very supportive. And as I said, uh, 193 member states by consensus adopted the text in November last year. 
And there was already mention about uh, the definition of open science from this UNESCO recommendation. So I'm not gonna go too much into detail about that, but just to say that, as it was said before, it, 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 the definition of open science in UNESCO is, is really a broad one that talks about opening science and scientific process to the scientists among themselves, but also to the rest of the society. So it is about increasing scientific collaborations and sharing on information for the benefit of society and for the benefit of science to making multilingual scientific knowledge available and usable for everyone. And also to open up these processes of, of scientific processes of knowledge creation, communication, evaluation to societal actors beyond the traditional scientific community. Uh, another important point in the recommendation is really the definition of these different pillars of open science, as we call them. So open scientific knowledge, uh, open access to scientific publications, research data, open educational resources, open source and, and software. Then open science infrastructures, which are also critical for open science, both virtual and physical, and you will be talking about them as well the open engagement of societal actors through some of these movements like citizen science or voluntary science, crowd, uh, crowdfunding, the ways in which we can use the power um, of our citizens, of, of the, the, the community who can contribute as well. And then open dialogue with other knowledge systems, including um, uh, uh, indigenous knowledge systems. So the idea really is for this to be as broad as possible and for everybody to contribute. The open science recommendation also um, defines values and principles which are really important, such as quality and integrity, collective benefit, equity and fairness, diversity uh, and inclusiveness. And, and both Joy and the previous speaker touched upon that and the importance of these values of open science. The different principles include transparency, equality of opportunities, collaboration, participation, flexibility and sustainability. And I think what is important is to say that open science will work if of course this broad uh, framework is adapted to the local situations and to the regional situation. So the idea is not for everybody to implement everything in the same way, but to find the different ways of operationalized practices that correspond to their own needs, but that are within these values and principles defined in the UNESCO recommendation. And we really hope that this will help you while you're thinking about the best ways of, of making open science a reality in your, in your universities. Of course, as we said, there are some challenges because it is a shift in the, in the traditional, let's say, scientific culture. So there is this change um, in the conventional scientific culture. There is need for capacity building at different levels. And this is a very good event um, to, 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 to build capacity and understanding of what open science means. There is need to invest in adequate infrastructures, including in reliable internet connectivity. And this, this was really one of the um, objectives and, and one of the things that were very much highlighted uh, by both researchers and other actors from Africa that were involved in the UNESCO recommendation on open science. Alignment of incentives, and also ad addressing some of the unintended consequences of open science practices, such as this possible high article processing charges or some other possible uh, uh, consequences. The idea is to recognize them and to address them knowing 
that there are ways to address uh, some of these challenges. And I think what is important also is to work together in fora like, like this one today to be able to share best practices and also you know, challenges and ways of addressing those challenges. Um, I just wanted to finish with a couple of specific recommendations in the, in the recommendation for universities um, and, and like high, high education um, uh, institution and research performing institutions. Um, there are several recommendations uh, uh, addressing these particular actors. And it really is around adapting at that level, at the university level or at the level of research performing institution some kind of statements of principle or policies uh, to guide uh, open science practices in the different institutions and universities. And then another one is really to look into how to change the current research culture and to recognize researchers for some additional, with some additional evaluation points such sharing collaboration and engaging with other researchers and society. So to look into how, as Joy was saying, how are we evaluating our researchers? How are we ranking our universities? What are the values that we give um, to the research culture that we have in our different institutions? So I'm gonna stop at this point and if there are any questions, I would be very happy to respond to them as well. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, Anna. Um, we are going to have uh, two more speakers. Then after that, we, we will have a five minute question and answer session based on their presentations. Now, our next speaker is, um, is Professor Geoffrey Bolton. Professor Geoffrey Bolton um, sits at the, at, in the advisory committee of, on, on, the, on open science in the International Science Council and is also uh, a Professor Emiratus at the University of Edinburgh. Professor Bolton will be talking about making uh, open science work in practice with a view from the International Science Council. So Professor Bolton, I will be sharing your screen and uh, then we can begin. Just one second. All right. Okay. Professor Bolton. You're next. Thank you. Thank you, Joy. So good morning, everyone. Uh, the International Science Council is, is heavily involved in several of the key practicalities of making open science a reality. But today I want to focus on what we regard as the most important open science issue, that of scientific publication, an enormously difficult problem for Africa, why it matters, what are the barriers that current procedures present to the development of open science and where solutions might lie? The next slide, please, Joy. The vision of the Council is of science as a global public good. Science is not a dispensable luxury. Uh, it's essential to the well-being of our societies. Economists have long supported the public good concept of science recognizing that its full benefits will be undersupplied by market processes alone, which justifies treating scientific knowledge as a public good to be freely provided by governments. Public goods like roads and honest police force and free education are the basis of most private goods. 
and have proved to be amongst the most economically efficient forms of public investment. Science creates new possibilities and complementary private efforts in business or society make those possibilities tangible, usable and socially and economically profitable. The purpose of open science, very simply, is to enhance the global public good role of science. In doing so, however, we mustn't lose sight of the foundation of the scientific process, a process that makes science a special form of knowledge. The indispensable foundations rely on publication. First, as a means of exposing findings to skeptical critique and testing, and secondly, to communicate findings efficiently and promptly into the public domain to maximize their availability to all who wish to access them. Anything that in inhibits this process is an economic and social inefficiency. What I call public good publishing is not a nice to have, but is absolutely essential to the future of science and the current efforts to forge a new era of open science. The International Science Council Steering Group on Open Science, of which Joy Owango and Ahmed Bauer are African members, has developed a series of eight key principles, which you see here, designed to ensure that the foundations I've just referred to are maintained in ways that serve the needs of science. These were overwhelmingly endorsed by the membership of the International Science Council during its 2021 General Assembly, a membership primarily comprising national science academies and the international unions and associations of science. In the list you see here, you should note in particular the issue of universal, affordable, open access to both readers and authors, right to retention, the concurrent, concurrent publication of data that relates to a published truth claim. At the moment, we simply don't expose our data adequately. It ought to be a requirement for publication that all data, all data that supports a truth claim is presented. And governance systems uh, that are accountable to the scientific community. The current globally dominant. You're rushing ahead there, Joy. Can you go back to the last slide? That's it. Thanks. The current globally dominant commercial publishing model offends almost all the principles you see here. In the words of Robert Maxwell, the model's inventor, it is a perpetual financing machine, and it remains so. It's a highly asymmetric business. Scientists do all the work for free. Our free peer review, for example, alone has been valued to be in excess of two billion US dollars a year globally. And we forfeit copyright as a condition of publication, ensuring that a publicly funded resource will lie behind a high paywall. On the other side, the publishers manage the peer review process, although we do the peer review, and they pocket large profits, estimated to be at levels of about 10 times the cost of production and with profits of up to 40%. Even as the costs of printing and postal dissemination have disappeared, price rises have exceeded inflation. How do the publishers get away with it? Next slide, please, Joy. 
Essentially, they exert a monopoly, but one I'm afraid that is assisted by the academic community, to which publishers sell reputation through a brand monopoly coupled with an access monopoly. The journal is a vital marketing vehicle for both, even though the journal no longer serves any useful purpose and indeed stands in the way of valuable functionalities that digital processes offer. These publishing activities are not just costly, they're positively damaging to science as a global public good by inhibiting access to much of the record of science. Publicly funded knowledge is appropriated by private enterprise that don't use it productively, but merely rent it back to those that have produced it. This contrasts, of course, with the behavior of the majority of private companies that use scientific knowledge to add value by creating their own derivative products. Next slide, please, Joy. <clears throat> the ISC's Open Science Steering Group has responded actively to rising concerns in the global scientific community about these issues. During the last year, it has produced the four significant reports that you see here that analyze most of the core issues at stake. We're now moving to a stage of action to stimulate reform, initially concentrating on open access for both readers and authors. One emerging priority for action, a relevant paper is shown on the second to the left in this slide, is to normalize preprints and their evolution. To do three or four things, to reduce costs, crucial priority, avoid delays, omit inappropriate er editorial selection of papers, and to introduce other technical functionalities with the subsequent option of transparent peer review as a route to diamond open access. We'll also support existing state or institutionally funded scholar-led diamond publishing system, and will seek to mobilize support for these modes of publication by working with the ISC community of acad academies and unions, and as a route whereby the current dysfunction dysfunctional system can be disrupted and ultimately replaced. The Council is now extending its network of collaborators around these issues, particularly to science funders who are crucial, and to universities, and would be very keen indeed to work with the stakeholders of this meeting to address shared purposes and to support African colleagues and their institutions in their efforts to create a robust open science that will enhance public good potentials to the benefit of society and science in Africa. Thanks very much. Thank you, Geoffrey. Thank you so much for that. And uh, our next speaker will be Ms. Rohina Anand. Ms. Rohina Anand is the executive director of, uh, of, of uh, publishing at uh, PLOS, and she will take us through the activities that PLOS is, push, is, is advocating on in open science and open access in Africa more in line with the uh, increasing equitable participation in open science with their partners. Rina, over to you. Thank you, Joy. Uh, can everyone see the presentation view of my slides? Okay. Please go ahead. 
Okay, thanks. So my name is Rahina Anand. I'm Executive Director for Global Publishing Development at PLOS, Public Library of Science. We know ourselves as PLOS more now than we uh, than Public Library of Science. Uh, and in case any of you are not aware of us, we are a not-for-profit, full open access publisher. And our mission is to empower researchers to accelerate progress in science and medicine by leading a transformation in research communication. We actively strive for openness and transparency throughout the whole research communication process because of the benefits that they bring to knowledge dissemination and importantly, to its utility and reproducibility. And therefore we're purposefully open by design. I'm gonna to talk today about the ways that we're trying to increase equitable participation in open science and the ways that we already embrace many of the values and principles outlined by Anna earlier, and also the principles outlined by Jeffrey just now at the International Science Council. I only have a short amount of time, unfortunately, but I'll look to cover at a high level everything as much as I can do. So I thought a really nice place, an obvious place to start is the UNESCO Open Science recommendation that we've just heard about. And to highlight a couple of key parts in particular, but the fact that we have that common def definition now and that so many countries and stakeholders around the globe have helped to define and have fed into, it's an incredibly powerful starting point around which different stakeholders can align. And the two, the two key parts for me that I just wanted to highlight now, there are many, many important parts, but firstly, that inclusiveness is intrinsic to open science principles. And so it already has that idea of equitable participation at its core. And secondly, that there are various and many movements and practices that make up uh, open science as a whole and that combine and come together to, and contribute to making knowledge more available, accessible and reproducible. And all of this so that ultimately knowledge can have the tangible desired effect and benefit for further knowledge creation and for the benefit of society and humanity. From our perspective at PLOS, therefore, open science is about more than being able to read an article. It's about providing the right context to understand it, the resources to replicate it, as well as the tools to collaborate and make science better. And it enables equitable participation in knowledge creation and sharing. And open science principles, both philosophical and practical, are embedded within everything we do. As publishers, open science actually allows and encourages us to rethink how we share and consume research. And that's something that all publishers, all publishers should be doing so that we make that move from the constraints of the physical format and take advantage of the opportunities provided by a digital world. Therefore, access to publications and in particular to published articles really is only the beginning. And when publishing research, we're no longer talking about an article or at least not only an article to share research findings. Now a multiplicity of findings can be shared to give a fuller picture of research and to recognize how that research happens. So that means transparent processes where we require submitting authors to use identifiers such as ORCID, ensuring that their work is properly attributed to them and that they receive credit for it and tools such as the credit taxonomy to ensure that each author's individual contribution to the research is defined. Through to encouraging and facilitating publication of preprints in advance of a journal article where authors share an early version of the work and can get public early public comments around that research. Through to a full peer reviewed article in a journal 
but crucially with the peer review materials accessible, i.e. the peer review itself plus the editor's comments. Open peer review in our journals does not mean that peer review process are peer review processes are any less rigorous or robust, or that the usual ethical checks are not applied, only that the related materials are accessible and transparent. We facilitate publication of data, code, and methods, amongst other outputs, and we support authors to implement this. And we also try to continue to think of ways to counter publication bias, for instance, via a, a publication such as a registered report, which outlines the planned research that's going to be done, but where there is also importantly a commitment to publish the outcomes, as long as the research is carried out in a methodologically and ethically rigorous manner, and that's irrespective of the perceived significance of the findings or the results. We're trying to increase equitable participation in open science in a number of ways. We've designed our new journals as open science communities of practice. They cover topics of relevance for the whole globe and that crucially link to the sustainable development goals as well. They cover topics such as public health, water, climate and sustainability. But they ensure diversity and equity of representation at all levels, editors, editorial boards, reviewers and authors, as well as actively seeking out research from underrepresented communities. They have inclusive publishing criteria. They focus on the importance of the research question itself and the rigor of the research being done, rather than just how exciting the result is perceived to be. Another example is our recent inclusion in global research editorial policy, which we developed to address the issue of parachute research, also known as helicopter or neo-colonial science. But as well as moving beyond the article and as well as um, engendering and encouraging a publishing process that better mirrors how research happens, we also need to move beyond the APC or the article processing charge. We know that APCs are exclusionary and therefore we're trying to move away from them at PLOS and we're piloting different business models to do so. We developed our community action publishing model to show that publication in selective journals is possible without high APCs. And our global equity model for our new journals also doesn't work on the basis of a per article or per unit payment to access a publishing service, and moreover reflects countries' financial situations by relating to the World Bank lending criteria. And institutions in Research for Life countries can get free membership of these models, meaning there would be no charge for authors to publish in the journals these models cover, subject, of course, to the usual acceptance criteria for those journals. So as well as designing our journals to align with open science philosophical principles, we've embedded an integrated open science practice within them via 14 core open science features that also embody the principles of accessibility, diversity, immediacy, reproducibility, transparency, trust, and rigor. But for PLOS, it's not just about applying these open science features, it's actually about showing the outcomes and impact and thereby to hopefully encourage more engagement with open science. We've conducted and published a number of pieces of research on both our open science practices and stakeholder and user needs around this. So finishing up now at PLOS, we've always worked to raise the bar for openness and we've intentionally moved away from open access or moved from and transitioning from open access to open science so that we can continue to try to define new routes to equitable participation in line with the values and principles we've been talking about. 
We're experimenters, but we're also striving to be better listeners because we know that a rigid approach to open science is not going to foster the equitable participation that we want to see from all communities. So we're expanding our global footprint in locally responsible ways to be closer to researchers and other stakeholders in the local research communication ecosystems. We want to hear from stakeholders directly, to listen to them and learn from them and understand the challenges that different communities face in engaging with and practicing open science. And this event is a prime example of how we're doing that, working with TCC Africa and the Association of African Universities, so that we can hear directly from you, from university leadership. Because by working aside, alongside you and with local communities, we hope to co-create these paths to open science and, develop, and to de develop solutions that work for you and to reflect and that reflect the cultural context in which you work, rather than just assuming that one size fits all and that everything that applies in the global north should apply elsewhere, which it doesn't, of course. So I'm greatly looking forward to hearing from the other speakers and the audience perspectives in the breakout sessions we will be hearing later. Thank you so much, Rohina. And um, just to reiterate, the purpose of today's meeting is to have an interactive session at the end of uh, the, the presenter speaking so that we can understand what is impeding us in adopting open science mandates, uh, what we need to do as higher education leadership within our universities, and what timelines do we need to adopt these open science mandates. So there's a definite output coming out of this meeting, and we'll use this as a basis for the workshops that would, the regional workshops that we'll be hosting uh, starting in June. So it's a question and answer time. Uh, we have five minutes for the questions. And so far, the, so far we've received three questions. Uh, one is from Alice Sim, and she would like to know a little more elaboration on publication bias. I think that will be for you, Rohina. Please give more elaboration on publication bias. Uh, and, uh, certainly, yeah. So I, um, yeah, very briefly alluded to it earlier, and we have lots of nice examples and information around this on our website as well. Um, but in particular, we've done this on both our more selective journals, but also our broad multidisciplinary journals. Uh, and really, it, it is just that it is it, by different publication outputs, um, focusing on all stages of the research process, and not just that, that, you know, resulting research article that you see as the dissemination mechanism in the majority of journals. So via some of the routes I, I said, you know, registered reports where you're actually doing a plan of the outlined research um, through to, you know, we actually encourage and facilitate uh, publication of preprints. Uh, we deposit those um, automatically for authors if they request us to. So those are out there and already getting uh, getting comments in through to the peer review article. But, but crucially, what we're saying is, um, it's not just that your results have to be novel or groundbreaking. We're focusing on how rigorous the, the research, mm. rigorously the research has been carried out, that the required standards and ethics are up to the uh, quality standard we expect for the results to be credible and that research to be credible, and that the other outputs are accessible. And of course, everything that we publish has an open license applied, a true open license, a Creative Commons license, so that it's available for reuse, for reproducibility, but so that as many of those underlying outputs can help to show um, you know, what has happened, the data, the methods, the code, et cetera. 
And even then, if that research is showing um, complementary results, so where there has already been research published that, um, that, that shows a certain novelty or impact, you know, actually, we're saying even if that research again is, is done and that actually upholds those original research, that's a benefit because it, it, that's a benefit because it shows that those original res results were credible. Or for negative results, you know, all of this is, is welcome in our journals as long as the research is conducted to a high standard and to uh, a rigorous standard. Thank you. Um, this will be relevant to you. This question will be relevant to you, uh, Professor Bolton. Please, uh, how this is from Bismarck Boteng, and he would like to know how are we going to embrace open science fully admits cultural diversity? Or Anna, could either of you could answer? Because I think it falls on both your plates. So, Bolton? Yeah, okay. Uh, it's a good. It's a good question, and at the, at the moment, an extremely important one. Uh, just knocking off some easy responses to begin with. I think we're getting to the position within a few years, uh, whereby linguistic diversity could be covered. In other words, you ought to be able to access a paper, and see it in your own language, irrespective of the language in which it was written. That could be done now, as it happens. But the problem is that, um, if I can say so, the the modern scientific publication is a discrete, inflexible artifact uh, in PDF form. Uh, in principle, it could be readily connected and articulated with other works. Uh, together, actors are synthesizing an, an, an interoperable sort of scientific integument. Um, cultural diversity is interesting. My sense is that internationally, there is a broad community of view amongst those who work in science about priorities and principles. That isn't to say there are not regional priorities and regional ways of, of, of thinking and expressing knowledge. That doesn't mean that we don't have elements in common, but we do have diversities. And one of the crucial problems, of course, that we suffer from is that the developed world, so to speak, the rich world, has imposed its view of the priorities, humanity's priorities, on the less developed world. And that's, some, that's a crucial issue. We need all the voices to be there. Uh, in the challenges that we face, uh, we, need, we need those voices. And that's why shifting the way in which we express ourselves through publication and the way we interact and the way we access publication is, 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 is a crucial issue. Um, I, I would say that at the moment that the, the PDF standard ought to be replaced by a web native article which creates functionalities which mean that instead of having this discrete and unalterable object called the publication, we have something that's far more flexible and adaptable to uses and functionalities which take cultural diversity into account. Thank you so much. Anna, I have two questions from, for you from um, Dr. Andrew Kiri from the University of Juba, South Sudan. Um, how will open science address effects of contrast between develop and developing research institutions and how will open science address issues of copyright and patents? Yes, thank you. Thank you, Joy, for the, uh, for the two questions. Um, 
<clears throat> I can refer back to the recommendation of UNESCO, which kind of deals with both of these issues uh, in, in one way or another. Um, in, in terms of um, the, 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 the developing countries and developed countries, I think there is a lot of effort has been put in the text of the recommendation to make clear that open science will only work if it is open both for developing countries and developing and developed countries. And if we really are at the same level of being able to access, of being able to use and being able to reuse. Uh, and another thing that is there in the recommendation is that open science also needs to be um, useful for developing country researchers to be able to showcase their work much more than what it has been done so far. We know there's a lot of good research happening in, in, in many developing countries. The question is how do we get that knowledge to the international scene as well? So hopefully that will also help not only to access uh, knowledge, but also to showcase knowledge from developing, uh, developing countries. So the idea would be really that, that there will be this bridging this gap by uh, uh, having increased accessibility to, to knowledge and research and also um, increased uh, availability of, of, of different research uh, um, sources, let's say, from different countries. And in terms of, of, of copyrights and patents, uh, um, Rohina already uh, talked about uh, a little bit about licenses and, and, and other issues. So these are the issues that are kind of already covered in the context of open science through the different um, uh, open access licenses that one can, one can use. And again, as we said, not everything needs to be open all the time. If there is a need for a patent for whatever reason, for research that is really commercially, um, uh, that, is, that is for a commercial purpose, uh, it can go through not, let's say, the, the, the open science uh, route uh, uh, as such. But even that, as our colleagues from the World Intellectual Property Organization are saying, there are always ways of making knowledge accessible and then dealing with patents and other issues uh, in a different way. So there are ways really to build on each other. And again, the recommendation really says there is no, not that much of controversy between open science and, and IP rights uh, in general. But if I may, Joe, I also saw this, this, this comment about the fact of needing to bring this conversation to the African Union and the, and the decision makers. I really feel that the recommendation is giving that particular leverage in the sense that a UNESCO recommendation is a legal instrument that your governments have adopted. They have the obligation to report back to UNESCO every four years on the progress made. So they, they did engage in this. So the, the question is, how do we push for the implementation? But that then also comes from, from institutions like yours. So it, it, the work has to be done on all the different levels and hopefully the recommendation will give a push particularly from that uh, higher, higher, higher up end okay. level. And the African Union is very much behind the concept of open science, um, has been working very closely with UNESCO uh, for the development of the recommendations. So I, I just needed to respond to the comment there. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> So I'll, I'll come to you, Professor Bolton, and then um, I'll, I'll just make a quick comment. Um, we, uh, uh, PLOS and TCC Africa have been working closely with policymakers and high education stakeholders 
in creating awareness and open science uh, in the respective regions we are, we are working in. We did that in Botswana. Uh, we are going to do that in Eastern Africa with the Inter-University Council of East Africa and the East African uh, uh, Commission of Science and Technology. So we are very clear that we need to involve um, this is not a one, it's not a, no, no, it's not only a higher education stakeholders involvement, it also involves policymakers. So we are literally bringing all of them together. We're literally bringing them all of them together so they can speak one voice and the, and the, the conversations are not fragmented. Uh, Professor Bolton, I'll just give you about one minute, then we can go to the next session. Yes, one minute, one, one minute will do fine. I was just responding to this interesting uh, question from uh, Jasper Lee Mainsanise. Um, about the African Union and, prior, and priorities and how to make the case. I remember in the STISA report in about 2017 from the African Union that it drew attention to two absolutely fundamental structural weaknesses in African science. One was the absence of critical masses and the other one was the very low level of intra-African collaboration. For example, with South Africa, with Zimbabwe, with Nigeria, there is more collaboration with the UK than there is with the, the, the totality of intra-African collaborations from Nigeria. I don't pick Nigeria out to criticize it, just to make a comment. And that's why one of the reasons why open science could be important, but you've got to associate it with real processes and mechanisms that are powerful and work. The first one would be to identify a series of major projects which are crucial for Africa, and there are several identified by the African Union, which you then fund in a federated fashion across Africa, and that's where you start to get virtual critical masses. But at the same time, you have to ensure that the that government governmental policies do not work against each other, which at the moment they do. If you look at the open science policies across Africa, there, there are as many of them as there are states, and many of them are, are create barriers at boundaries. So there is an opportunity for Africa, which I think it ought to seize. And the African Union and potentially the African continental free trade area could be an absolutely vital part of really stimulating African effort with open science as a way of working. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Um, Rohina, uh, 30 seconds uh, before we get to Yeah, no, I, I wasn't going to say anything specific. I just wanted to say thank you for all the questions. And actually, it's really useful, even if we don't have a chance to answer them now, we can take them away and actually consider them when we develop the workshops that we're doing regionally. So we bring, so we come back to some of the points raised and try and answer them. Absolutely, absolutely. Okay, so we are getting into the next session. Uh, in the beginning, we started with the international, the global outlook on open science. And now we want to look at the continental outlook on open science. And our next speaker is going to talk about the state of open access in, Afri in Africa. And this this is Dr. Shiamo Moshegwa. He's based uh, in the National Research Fund Foundation in South Africa, and he is the director of African of the African Open Science Platform. Dr. Moshegwa, the floor is yours. Thank you very much, Joy. Can you see my screen? Not yet. Okay, let's try to. Uh, if you could make him a co-host. Yes, good. You can see it now. Yes, we, yes, we can. Not yet. Okay, Not yet. Okay. But while we're waiting for, for the projection, just to say thank you to the organizers. 
the African Association of Universities. I was there in Ghana in 2017 uh, on the big, big occasion of the Jubilee celebrations of the 50th uh, year of the association. And then uh, institutions were consulted on the African Open Science Platform um, through rounds of uh, engagements, then to develop a process for consultation that culminated in the landscape study. The landscape study that showed the activities and capacities in the continent of open, open science. Um, that was very, very important study because it highlighted a number of areas along the dimensions of policy regarding open science, some of which has just been mentioned by speakers there. The issue of infrastructure supporting, um, obviously, open science, the issue of data, um, the issue of access to scientific literature, that is the topic of today, and the critical issue of skills in the continent. And arguably also the incentives to go through the, um, the, the, um, the approach of going open science. We know that there is tension between individual researchers, institutions, and what needs to be done regarding progression in scientific careers. So it's very, very important that universities look at this and say in as much as open science provides the advantages that are provided for, what are institutions themselves doing to encourage researchers to adopt open science principles? Very, very important dialogue that needs to be had. The issue of collaborations in the continent, Professor Bolton just mentioned it. If we were to draw the graph of collaborations between us in the continent, we find that it's very, very sparse. And indeed, we need to do more. And then the issue of partnerships. Joy, did you manage to project? I'm still not, you're not still able to project your screen. You're, okay, you are supposed to be try. projecting your screen and you're not able to project it yet. I couldn't let's, see it. Let's, let's try again. Yeah. Project. Share. There. So you can see now. Like is it better? Has begun. Perfect. Yeah. That's our, okay. the other screen as a backup as you are trying to search. Okay. Thank you very much. Okay. So, so just talking for a few minutes there about the prevailing work that happened before we got where we are. But just to clarify, the African Open Science Platform is now embedded at the NRF in South Africa after a bidding process. Uh, to host it, supported by the Department of Science and Technology, Science and Innovation in South Africa. This for the benefit of the whole continent. It's hosted there for the next five years. Uh, this hosting of the platform there as the coordinating center. We'll see later that there will be process to develop AOSP nodes in various regions and indeed in countries. And just also to highlight, I'll be joining the AOSP office as director, uh, moving from University of Botswana for the next five years. Um, I think this is a very important point to mention because the African AAU uh, society can play a very, very big role in terms of moving the mandate of ASP and all the pillars uh, of ASP uh, through engagements from universities. And I think this is very important forum that we're having today for vice chancellors and presidents and rectors is 
it's also critical because universities can also, through their leadership, uh, play a key role. So Joe, I thought maybe I'll spend a minute uh, highlighting that and where we are. So new management, new leadership for ASP has been appointed. Uh, there's a deputy director here. She's actually in Wakren conference today in Abidjan. Uh, we take every opportunity to engage. Uh, thank you very much. Now, I think in terms of the dialogue that we started today, I think colleagues have done good justice to the background. It goes without saying that um, there is a developing trend, developing these open science clouds, uh, really to get us to collaborate more across continents, especially on areas that we don't need to compete in. If you look at the issue of sustainable development goals, infectious diseases, disaster reduction, those are very important issues that we can collaborate on. And indeed, we need platforms that allow us to do as such. Uh, across the continents, other continents are moving ahead and making provisions for doing exactly that. So one can mention the Europeans, and there's also other platforms in Asia through the Malaysian Open Science Platform and the like in the recognition of these uh, dispensation. I think colleagues have also talked about what open science is, uh, in particular, putting focus on engagement with society um, to be at the core of open science, to make sure that we have these very strong interfaces between research and society, to make sure that the problems you solve at the end land very well uh, with society. Of course, there are the other dimensions there, including what we are discussing today in open access. I think uh, the motivation for open science is also widely shared. I'm sharing a good slide there um, that highlights various motivations. I think Professor Bolton himself has articulated aspects of that area. Indeed, in the past, he's emphasized uh, that this actually is a failure to communicate, um, to fail to communicate data really that supports scientific assertion is malpractice. So Professor Bolton has done good work over the years and is also uh, a distinguished member of the advisory council uh, for ASP from its very inception. So really the motivations for why open science should not really be far-fetched. I think distinguished vice chancellors here can also see from that slide what open science can, can bring to their organizations and indeed to the countries they're operating in. Um, Anna and other colleagues mentioned the open science recommendations, very, very important development, but implications for all of us in countries and institutions, various ministries that are enabling research science and technology in their respective countries. Uh, for us at OSP, we look at this as a very, very good instrument uh, that will help guide operationalization of the international open science framework. And indeed, I was in Rwanda in March, where one of the key messages coming out of the Africa Regional Forum Sustainable Development and the Africa Regional STF Forum, one of the key messages was that we need to think about operationalizing uh, this framework of open science based on the recommendations across the board. So really tangible actions required from universities, from individuals, through to ministries. Uh, everybody needs to look at those recommendations and see uh, how they can be implemented. So indeed, UNESCO is playing a very critical role. I'm sure uh, going forward, we need to have a dialogue in forums like this to see where we are uh, in terms of the implementation of these uh, initiatives, of these recommendations. For Africa, I think colleagues have spent some time highlighting the value of open science. There's the graph that Professor Bolton was talking about. The collaborations in the continent are very sparse. Maybe apart from South Africa, Nigeria, and others, we found that by and large, we need to strengthen those collaborations in terms of scientific activity amongst ourselves. 
Africa is very young as a continent, 19 years on average. So there's a very good potential uh, to uh, have very early interventions with our universities, with our students, in our postgraduate pipelines, infuse and infuse uh, students about open science and the best practices. You all know the potential also of open science regarding some key areas for Africa, whether it's in resources, whether it's in uh, earth observation, whether it's in our blue economy, um, whether it's in conservation, whether it's in cutting edge research. So really Africa can play a very critical role. And indeed, there are some very good policy documents that talk about where we want Africa to be uh, through the prism of science, technology, and innovation. I have to share the slide because I think there are some imperatives. I'm sure there are imperatives for all other continents, but also for Africa. We do need for Africa to join the global dispensation uh, in doing science as a full partner. So what that means, we need to enhance our research, science, and technology ecosystems to be fit for purpose. And indeed, the issue of collaborations is highlighted there. I want to emphasize the issue of access to e-infrastructures. Very, very important for us to develop that to stem the flight of intellectual capacity to other continents. Because more often than not, we have scientists who leave the continent because they are frustrated by a lack of infrastructure and they go elsewhere. So what that means is we also need to develop platforms, including the ones that we've highlighted. I think colleagues have also mentioned about uh, open science best practices. One element that is also important to us as a continent is that of think of open science also as it impacts society. And maybe think about how we're going to do that uh, across the levels. I think the issue of citizen science will be critical. Uh, the issue of open innovation, co-creation with industry. Africa has got a lot of companies in the continent uh, over the years um, engaging, but we need to do more research together with them. Of course, we need relevant IPR frameworks. I think the issue of data is very critical, especially if you tie it to open government and national digital transformation. Uh, of course, we need that data to be fair as been pronounced. There's a very good project through the Data for Sustainable Development Goals Initiative called the Data Values Project. I think it captures also some of the key imperatives for Africa, looking at data as the root for inclusion and equity, uh, looking to have well-governed data and looking at data that powers sustainable, equitable development. I think these are very critical imperatives for Africa, of course, leading to better research, innovation, and creation of employment. There is potential because there, most countries are dominant in terms of readiness for open science and open data. But the key issue here, we need to activate and start moving along. The issue of open access has been mentioned. I think Professor Bolton mentioned this articulated it very well. We do need to think about new models of systems of publishing, models that would democratize science. And for us in the developing world, we need to think about what are the key benefits and how we shape in this debate. Um, I had a very good forum last week uh, on the societal impact of open science. And one we also think this is also critical for the continent. Insofar as also thinking about how is open science going to impact our societies and thinking about the various dimensions and think we need, we need to measure uh, to that effect. And one can also maybe start this bottom up so that we don't lose track of the impact of science. I'm saying this because to provide a context, the continent has indeed is sensitive to the developments in open science. And indeed there was the study that I mentioned at the outset that provided a very good detailed assessment of where we are. And I think the leadership that is here can also do well. To have a look at it and maybe see that since the study was done, 
uh, where and how have institutions progressed? That study resulted in the development of a strategy for the African Open Science Platform, very, very progressive and ambitious, that puts our scientists at the very cutting edge of contemporary data-driven science. And you can see the pillars there captured uh, in five bullet points. We mentioned infrastructure, the colleagues have mentioned policy, best practices in research data management, the issue of skills through a Pan-African data science and AI institute, spending our institutions uh, imparting uh, uh, interventions in capacity growth. The issue that Professor Bolton mentioned, key priority application programs in areas of health, biodiversity, those areas that the African Union itself has highlighted is key for us and the continent to progress together in. We can, as institutions uh, in the continent, work together to work on proposals that enhances the Pan-African footprint of the work that we do. The issue of network for education and skills, we need to have this network to be able to run training programs that are accessible to the continent, uh, maybe run uh, by institutions and their partners. The issue of having a network to allow us to engage like today and engage with society to form uh, projects and proposals is very, very critical. So I thought I'll just share that slide. And in terms of how ASP will have to run, you'll see there the diagram at the top left, uh, that indeed we have a coordinating body currently embedded at NRF. There will be need to develop these regional uh, ASP nodes uh, that will obviously perpetuate open science practices. I want to highlight this slide because at the RECs, the regional economic uh, regions, there is activity related to open science or that could be related to open science. Um, mentioning there's SADC, um, there are other regional bodies as you know. It would be good to introspect and see how the development of open science platforms in the regions can engage with the RECs and align with, with policies and strategies that are already there. In terms of the evolution, I have mentioned this, we are now in 2022 and we're looking to effect and deliver AOSP. There are key areas that are highlighted there, ranging from governance all the way to monitoring evaluation. We can discuss this in the discussion forums. I just wanted to provide a very quick update in the interest of time, Joy. I know that um, we have seven minutes, but I thought it's very, very critical to share this. You'll be getting a, a request to provide more information to update the landscape study so that we capture what has happened since 2018 when the report was developed, so that we capture uh, new developments. ASP has got a portal, a website, uh, that will enhance visibility. Uh, ASP has contributed to the UNESCO recommendations for an African perspective. We are continuously engaging in these various forums to make sure that we disseminate information. And we recently interviewed with the Internet Science Council uh, to provide an update uh, to the whole world that the ASP is here to start and we're looking for engagement. The issue of monitoring evaluation will be critical. As you know, there's the African STI Observatory developing uh, indicators in science and technology and innovation. It will be important to develop um, indicators for open science so that we keep track of whether and how we're making progress. Um, I want to, to emphasize that very soon uh, we'll be starting the process of looking to establish regional nodes, nodes that we saw there in the other diagram. There is need for developing a conceptual model, guidelines for hosting these regional nodes, and identifying and appointing relevant regional nodes. So the dialogue is ongoing. We'll be hearing from the coordinating entities soon. 
the issue of governance is very important. At the moment, ASP is governed by the advisory council. This is a voluntary set of very eminent individuals who've been guiding the development up to date, of which Professor Bolton is part of. Uh, going forward, uh, ASP is developing a process to recruit membership from a diverse set of stakeholders across the continent so that there's a representative, diverse membership base. This is of institutions of higher learning, um, research performing institutions, um, funding bodies, um, government departments, um, NGOs. Uh, we'll be looking for this membership. And by the end of the year, from this membership, they should emerge a governing council that will direct ASP going forward. The issue of resource mobilization is very paramount. Um, ASP has to provide value uh, to the stakeholders. Uh, the issue of engaging uh, different stakeholders for this purpose is critical. Uh, there's very good opportunity through the Science Granting Council Initiative, of which you know most African countries are part of, in terms of aligning to make sure that we see we exploit synergies uh, in open science. Um, very, very critical uh, areas also is for ASP to support development of open science policy in the continent. Uh, Professor Bolton also ably talked about open access. ASP will align with the IC team uh, on the project of opening the record of science. Um, very, very important. And on the open data, we are also looking to have a dialogue. We are having a dialogue on the ASP data institutes to make sure that all that data that emanates from projects that actually be made available uh, for perpetuation and for exploitation for other things. Capacity building is very important. You know that core data under ISC and the Research Data Alliance has over the years matured a curriculum um, that has been uh, piloted in various interventions. We are aligning with them, they're aligning with ASP uh, so that this can be of benefit to the whole continent. I have to emphasize what Professor Bolton alluded to, uh, that the issue of projects that can have a Pan-African footprint will be critical. And already there are some projects in the continent, all the four corners of the continent, that by and large maybe are happening in a particular country or in a region, but they need to have a Pan-African footprint and can also be used to perpetuate open science practices. I'm mentioning here a few that already ASP can align with or is going to be aligning with to make sure uh, that going forward uh, we do support uh, the increase in the footprint. The issue of weather and climate, you know about it, multi-hazard early warning systems, the issue of sparse observations in the continent, the issue of meteorological services working together, the issue of Africa collaborating with the rest of the world in terms of uh, modeling weather and climate phenomena. Uh, and indeed, a project like that could easily be extended. The project on genomics, we know the good work done by History Africa and the History Bionet uh, in the genomics uh, community. Uh, there's a very good opportunity through the DSI Africa Consortium of the NIH funded project uh, in terms of genomic research, as you know. Uh, this project will develop a platform uh, for sharing uh, genomics data. Of course, there are issues with ethics and issues with regulation, legislation but the science is very sound. A project like this has got a very good scalable Pan-African footprint and can promote a best practice in open science. And indeed, ASP is aligning with the project as part of the proposal uh, at the beginning. I have to emphasize open uh, science practices and principles can also be advanced through space sciences. And we know that Africa has made strides in this area in terms of the statutes of African Space Agency, uh, the many uh, African space agencies that are uh, up and running, 
and indeed the big projects like the SKA that will be running in the continent. This provides a opportunity and a conduit through which we can really push open, open science. Uh, think, uh, Joy, thank you very much for giving me this latitude. Uh, there's a lot of work that can be done and the landscape study that has done prior has highlighted all these activities. What we require now is to coordinate for Pan-African footprint. And I think indeed going forward, the various players there can play their role. I have to emphasize, I think the African wrecks can also given the diagram I shared earlier, uh, look at obviously um, uh, hosting uh, African open science platform nodes. I think maybe in summary, one can really summarize and say ASP presents a very, very good tantalizing opportunity for advancing open science in the continent and for us in the continent to contribute into development of a global commons for global challenges. Key is the UNESCO open science recommendations, ASP will align with those and engaging to make sure that in the continent we keep track of how we're doing in the implementation. And will be key, one of the key things to ask for ASP to facilitate and guide in setting up these regional nodes. I, I think constituents and stakeholders will be hearing from the coordinating body soon about what um, process will be in place. I have to emphasize the ME framework, make sure that ASP is a learning organization. We move forward in terms of what we are doing and what we are doing better. We'll have to take a pragmatic approach. This can easily uh, uh, be a talking show. What will be required is to take concrete, pragmatic, practical approach in running of the ASP. The issue of projects and low-hanging fruits that we just saw, they will be a very good way to start. The issue of uh, science granting councils, the issue of countries looking at their national priorities and looking at how science can affect those and maybe supporting and funding those will be critical. Thank you very much, Joy, uh, for giving me the latitude, uh, providing the contacts there of uh, Dr. Chun, who is the Deputy Director ASP at the Strategic Planning Partnerships Office uh, for further uh, inquiries. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, Dr. Shioma. I forgot to share my video, um, just in case. That is actually not very quiet. I think that's how I look like. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, Dr. Shioma, and it's nice to see you again. Now, our next, uh, our next speaker will be talking on behalf of uh, libraries, and um, I will be sharing the screen on his behalf. And our speaker is Dr. Mark Anthony Kobler. He's the university librarian at the University of Cape Coast, but he's also the chairperson of the, uh, the Consortium of uh, Academic uh, Research Libraries in Ghana, and he's also the chairperson of the Academic Library uh, Consortia section of AFLIA. Now, AFLIA in full, AFLIA in full is the African Library and Information Associations and Institute, and it's the umbrella body for uh, libraries in Africa. As I said in the beginning, we need to include all the stakeholders in this discussion on open science. They all need to speak one voice. And out of this uh, meeting, we need to understand how we can work together, librarians, chief librarians or librarians and uh, leadership within universities, directors of research, vice chancellors and deputy vice chancellors in seeking ways in adopting, op uh, seeking ways in which we can adopt open science mandates within our universities, also understand what our challenges are and see what the next steps are in making sure that these mandates are effected. Without further ado, I'll, I'll hand over to uh, Mark Anthony. Mark, are you ready? Very ready. Thank you okay. Joy, for the opportunity. All right, and I'll go on um, black and then we can begin. Yeah. 
Thank you very much for the opportunity. And I, I welcome all of you to this morning program. And uh, for because of time constraint, I'll be limiting myself to just a few, a few issues that uh, I want to emphasize for colleagues and uh, other senior members of our university who are participating in this training. I'll speak, I'll really emphasize the mandate of academic libraries and their functions because the very role that we have to play in open science is linked to our mandate as academic libraries for our universities. I'll just say a few things about AFLIA. I think a lot has been said about open science, so I will skip that. Then I'll go to dwell more on the academic libraries and the role we can play in open science. Then I'll conclude. Can we go to the next slide? Yes. I know we are very familiar with this, but I, I need to emphasize once more. The mandate of academic libraries and their functions have not changed. Um, the mandate of academic libraries and our investors, first of all, is to provide information, if you like scholarly information to support teaching and learning, that has not changed. And we provide information in, in all formats and information of all kinds. So open science, whatever information it is, is still, so long as it's relevant for teaching and learning, it's still within our mandate as academic library to provide this information. We also provide facilities, including learning space, computers, scanners, and photocopiers, and other things that aid teaching and learning. Then we have this mandate of providing services, professional services to support teaching and learning. So these three key mandates are very much linked to our role in open science. Then our functions to achieve this mandate include the function of acquiring resources, the function of organizing resources, the function of storing and preserving, and the functions of disseminating and sharing. So everything I'm going to say this morning will be linked to this, because this, this is fundamental to the role of academic libraries in open science or in the core business of any university in Africa. Can we go to the next slide? Next slide. Right. Just a few, no, no, go back. Sorry. Just, I, I know the moderator has spoken uh, about AFLIA, but AFLIA was founded in 2013 as an independent international NGO. Um, it's it's, it's a institutional membership, and of late, they have tried to open the, the personal or individual membership, but it's, it's mainly institutional membership of associations and library institutions. And the main objective is to drive equity to access to information for all. So you see that AFLA's mandate and objective is also linked to open, open, open science. AFLA support open science and AFLA want to play a role in open science. AFLA has become, if you like, AFLA is the African win of the International Federation of Library Association and Institutions. So it has become a trusted voice that connects all African libraries and communities together. So AFLIA has a key role to play in supporting open access in Africa universities. Can we go to the next slide? I I'll skip this because I, I know I don't want to, yes, this, I want to emphasize this. The issue about open access, what I want to emphasize is the fact that is a new way of doing research and organizing science. It's enabled through digital technology. So we must all look at 
the infrastructure in our universities if we were to use these resources. Then it's reshaping academic value systems. I think these three things have to be emphasized uh, about open science in relation to academic libraries. Can we go to the next slide? Next slide, please. Yeah. So let me come to the, if you like, the, the gamut of my presentation. What role do academic libraries play in promoting open science? And as I said at the beginning of the presentation, it comes down to the, the core mandate and the functions of academic libraries. Academic libraries have a role in the development of scholarly content of open science. The librarian sits in a very critical role in the value chain of information. We have a very good relationship with publishers, researchers, academic students. And as we normally do in all, in, in, in all other areas, we, through our information assessment, we are able to give the feedback to the publishers, the authors, the researchers on the actual needs of our students or our universities. One challenge that we are facing with open science and open access is about the, sometimes the relevance of the collections to our universities. Sometimes we have so much, so much information that we don't even know what is what, which is which. So the librarians and the academic libraries have a role in ensuring that the right content is developed for, for teaching and learning purposes and research purposes. So we have a role to play in the development of content. So that's, that's no doubt. There's no doubt about that. Then we also have a role to play in the dissemination of scholarly content. That is our core mandate. We sit at the right position to disseminate scholarly content. And I think that uh, this is what we do. We know how to do best. We are, we are very much positioned through our advocacy and our awareness creation strategies to ensure that the content that are developed are publicized, are available and accessible to the user community. I think we have that role to play. And I think we'll be doing that so well. Then the role of ensuring the storage and the preservation of open science content is also critical. I think that we need to ensure that these content are preserved through digitization so that at least they'll be available for the next generation of people. I think the librarians need to digitally archive some of this content and ensure that these contents are available to even the future generation of academic uh, libraries and academic uh, facility users. Then we go to the next slide. The next slide, please. I think like libraries, academic libraries, through our information literacy, instructions and teachings, also have a role of training. You know, the issue about using this open access content, we know they all come online and people have find it very difficult to navigate the digital uh, material, digital collections. So we have a critical role in ensuring that we train our, our researchers, our lecturers, our students, equip them with the requisite information literacy skills and certain skills to be able to maximize the use of this content as much as possible. 
So I, I think that we have that critical role to play as libraries to ensure that we have the capacity, we are empowered to ensure that the requisite training is provided for the users of the content. Because it is not just enough to make the content available on the web. We have to ensure that it is, it is, it is user-friendly, it's being used effectively for the purpose for which it has been created. I think the academic library can also serve as a hub for scientific collaborations. We are well placed to serve as a center for collaboration for all the stakeholders in the development of open science collections. Then above all, Madam Moderator, we have the rule of ensuring ethical use of the content. That is another issue. Sometimes people think that because these contents are free and they, they can do anything with it, they can cut and paste, they can share, they can sometimes even commercialize them. I think the libraries and the librarians, the academic libraries, have to develop guidelines and policies, manuals to guide the use of the open science content. This is something that we cannot run away from. And I think that the earlier we begin to empower academic libraries to ensure that this content are used based on ethical considerations, the better for us. Then we go to the next slide. Yes, because of the seven minutes, let me conclude. I think the way forward is for us to adapt a collaborative approach. Um, everyone in the value chain of information management is needed in this, in this endeavor. We need to bring everybody on board. We need to identify the roles that every stakeholder will have to play to ensure that these resources are developed based on the need of the research and the academic community. These resources, the use is maximized and they are used effectively within the ethical considerations. That also call for the need to empower academic libraries. We need to empower them. I mean, these days, the libraries are underfunded. We need to build the capacity in terms of staff, in terms of resources, and to ensure that these libraries are in a great position to be able to deliver on their mandate of promoting the use of all kinds of information resources, particularly in these purpose or for this uh, occasion, open science collections. I think uh, I'll end here. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Um, I will be the next speaker, but for the interest in time, I'll just focus on the highlights. Then we can get into the, the question and answer uh, session. And my focus will be primarily on what we are going to be talking about. So just for context, we are based at the University of Nairobi. We are based at the University of Nairobi and uh, the University of Nairobi is our parent partner. And over the last 15 years, we've been supporting researchers in improving their scholarly and science. And uh, they are improving their research output and their visibility through scholarly and science communication. Open science comes automatically under the scholarly communication bit. And out of this, I want to share with you some of the challenges we noted uh, with, with the open science, uh, we, some of the challenges we noted uh, in regards to Open, uh, open science, uh, the open science and the open access landscape. So far, there are about 1,074 open access policy and open science policy mandates that have been currently included in the registry of open access repository mandates. 
And this, this is as of yesterday. So these are institutions per country that have produced uh, open access and open science mandates. They are supposed to put their mandates, upload their mandates in the, the, the registry of open access repositories. Now in Africa, we have 36 open science institutional mandates. And in Eastern Africa, we have 20, 16 from Kenya, one from Burundi, one from Tanzania. Uh, we've put Zimbabwe in Eastern and Central Africa. Uh, in, it's actually Southern Africa, but it has been put under Eastern Africa in this uh, link, uh, has two mandates. In Northern Africa, we only have three with three with, from three institutes in Algeria. In uh, Western Africa, we have one and one in Nigeria. In Southern Africa, we have 11 institutes that have open science and open access mandates. And this is what we are going to be talking about. We need more open science mandates included amongst our institutes. The data is already there. So because it is expected of institutions that have created these open science mandates to upload it within in, the, in this uh, this registry, so that they can also that so that they can use it as a, a as a point for knowledge sharing for any potential institution that would wish to to set to create other open uh, to create open science mandates. Now, we what needs to be done? What needs to be done is for the leadership within institutions to sit down and understand why are we not creating these open science mandates? What are the challenges in in uh, that are stopping us from creating this open science mandate. As you can see, the world can only see 36 coming out of Africa. And before we get into our, our exercise, which will take 15 minutes, we have a question and answer session on uh, for for the for the last uh, for the last two speakers. And uh, feel free to ask any question that you may have for Dr. Shiamo or Dr. Kobla. Uh, in regards to the state of open access or open science in Africa and what needs to be done. And there's a question for you, I believe Dr. Shiamo, and <clears throat> this is from Mohammed Ahmed and he asks, how can the data on, how can the data owners, rather institutions and researchers and authors appropriately acknowledge, be acknowledged in open science in, um, in, in the ethical perspectives, which will be consented from participants that, that the information will be available in open science databases, or will consenting be needed, or reconsenting be needed. So he's talking about uh, the consent of data that would be released, open data. Dr. Shia. No, thank you, Joy. I, th I think there are available processes uh, for ethical clearance for doing research fundamental to any research that is done. I think uh, offices of research in universities are the bodies that are really looking to, to assist uh, in such areas. Uh, and I think there are uh, provisions uh, and guidelines uh, for clearing uh, uh, research that has got, for example, uh, human subjects uh, uh, implications. Uh, when it comes to the data once, of course, it's been cleared. Remember, open data, is not about opening everything. You have to look at what you want to open. Um, you open as required, you close as necessary. It's not cut blanche. Mm. So once you've decided what you want to open up, there are provisions, for example, through the research data management process, 
uh, to be able to open up your data. Um, institutions can develop data management plans, talk about how research, uh, research data will be managed, and then put in place repositories uh, that will obviously allow that data to be put in there. So really, it doesn't happen in isolation. It happens as part of the whole cycle of, of research data production. So I think that's what I would say um, to allay the fears that when we talk about open data, uh, normally we want to talk about fair data. Uh, we also have to acknowledge that uh, research should happen within the ethical boundaries and that consent has to be obviously uh, sought before you open up data sets. There are degrees of openness that we all can also uh, look at, which is why I think it's very important uh, from uh, the very first speaker that training is a very, very paramount um, exercise for researchers in the space. Um, you know that when you open data, you can also associate with it uh, yeah. licenses, open, uh, open, 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 open licenses, and describing um, the utilization of data. So there are some things that one can, can, can discuss when it comes to training researchers about how to open. So that, that's what I would say at this stage, George. Thank you very much. Okay. Thank you. So the last question uh, is from Professor Bolton to Dr. Kobler. Uh, the digital revolution has made the library of record redundant. How can we create and uh, govern a source agnostic discovery service for the record of science? Company systems favor their own, as company systems tend to favor their own output. Mark? Mark, did you get the question? Repeat the, uh, the, the digital revolution, yes, mm -hmm. the digital revolution has made the library of record redundant and how can we mm -hmm. create and govern a source agno agnostic discovery service for the record of science since company systems seem to favor their own output. In fact, I, I'm not, I'm not someone who agree with this assertion that the, the digital revolution has made libraries redundant. I don't agree with it at all. Is it? The, the 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 information that we acquire, organize, and disseminate is just coming in a different format. Now it's coming in electronic format. And we still have a role to play from the creation of that information to the organization and the dissemination. So I think that the, the libraries will just have to embrace that mm -hmm. there's a change of the format in which our resources come. So we need to just be a capacity to ensure that we can deal with the new format of information, the digitized information. And the same principles that we, we use in managing print information, unfortunately, it applies. There's not too much change. It's just a matter of using technology to do some of the things that we, we used to do manually. So I, I have never, and I think that's the growing concern of some of the academies that libraries are no more relevant because now information is on the web, information is digitized. Anybody can see that woman and get whatever he wants. I, I, I really don't agree. Okay. Somebody Thanks. will still have to ensure that the right content is, is, is delivered. Somebody will have to ensure that the, the, the information is organized. Somebody will have to ensure that somebody still have to track the use of the information to ensure that it's using. Somebody will have to ensure efficacy of the digital information. Thank you. Thank you so much, Dr. Kopla. Now there's a question for me and um, the question is, there are very few databases in Africa that attain the highest international standards. It's a serious issue as we need more databases that are prof proficient in, their, in, in various fields so that can be applied. 
Now, um, Geoffrey, so the reality is that in Africa, one of the, the, the challenges that is facing the continent in open science is infrastructure. But with that said, there have been innovative ways to come up with databases that can support the visibility of African research. We have the bibliographic database, the African Journals Online that has been indexed in African journals since 1997, thus increasing the visibility of uh, output that is produced by African researchers. Then we have the rise of preprint repositories coming out of the continent. So we have the open research platform that was recently uh, that has been recently supported by the faculty, N1, uh, faculty 1000. And uh, we have Africa Archive, which is Africa's um, only continental print preprint repository, which is uh, accepting submissions from African researchers or any researcher out of Africa publishing on and about Africa. And so far has received submissions from over 33 African countries. And we are seeing a situation where institutes are producing preprint repositories like University of South Africa with the UNISA preprints. So infrastructure, we cannot deny infrastructure has actually been a challenge when it comes to open science. But with that said, there've been innovative ways to look at how we can work with the resources that we have in increasing the visibility of African research, uh, especially when it comes to the use of the databases that can aid in increasing the visibility. Colleagues, we're running out of time and we need to get into the next session. The next session is going to be based, and we are going, is going to be based on what we've been discussing and uh, which will focus on why, what we need to do to, a, to, to create open science mandates. I just need to put up the questions so that we can, uh, we can be very clear on it. So we are going to break out into sessions and we need to answer these three questions. What are the impede, what, I hope now you can see the, the questions. What mm -hmm. impedes the adoption of open science and mandates of policies within your institutes? What needs to change to allow adoption and implementation, and implementation of these mandates? And what do you think are the next steps for you and what timelines are necessary for you to take these steps? As I had said in the beginning, we are going to make, we need, we want to create outputs out of this meeting. We are going to use this as a basis of the subsequent workshops that we are going to host. As I'd also uh, made in my brief presentation, there are only 36 open science and open access mandates that have been produced out of Africa. That is as of yesterday at 8 p.m. And these are, these are the ones that have been registered in the repository uh, that have been re that have been registered in the ROAS in the re re the registration of, of uh, I'll, I'll get the name in full properly. But these are the ones that have been registered and have been that are accessible globally. But what does that mean for us? In Africa alone, we have over a thousand universities easily over a thousand universities you're looking at. And out of those a thousand universities and research institutes, we only have 36 institutes that have created open science mandates. So this is a cause for concern. So we need to ask ourselves, what is stopping us from adopting these open science mandates? We've already had an, an we've already had the global perspective. We've also had the, the, the regional perspective or rather the continental perspective. So we need to ask ourselves what we need to do. That's why we brought in all 
these stakeholders together. We brought in the librarians, the directors of research and the vice chancellors. We have vice chancellors sitting in this meeting as well. So let's get into our groups. Abednego, how many are we going to, how many groups are we going to get into? And we'll have 15 minutes to have this conversation amongst ourselves in the groups. Abednego? Yeah, we have um, three groups made up of 20, 21, okay. they're about. So I'll open all the rooms, people can, people will be put into rooms. And so I'll, I'll open it now. Okay. I'm opening it now. Okay, okay. Uh, then... Okay, so you are welcome to our group. I would want to have a volunteer who would uh, take the lead in, in facilitating this group. Um, what we are going to be discussing basically would be the three questions that we ask in the early or the latter part of uh, the discussions that were done with the joy. The three questions are basically what are the impediments to the adoption of open science practices within our institutions? What must be done to overcome those impediments? And with what timelines are we supposed to be looking at this? Um, let me see the people I have in this group. Uh, very, very familiar faces and names. All right. So since uh, one of the facilitators is here in this group, I would want him to be the person to facilitate for us. Oh, okay. So you you are not, please, you can join any of the groups. You can join any of the groups. Just leave this now and join any of the groups, please. Please step out and join any of the groups. How do we step out and join any of the groups? I don't see any groups. All I see is you. Okay. So <clears throat> if you click on the breakout sessions, breakout rooms down there, please, are you looking at it? I don't you see click anything. On the, there's a breakout rooms. I don't see okay. anything. I'm, I'm assigning you to a room. I'm assigning you to group uh, room two, please. I'm assigning you to room uh, group two. Humphrey. I'm assigning you to room three. Prof, I'm assigning you to group room one. On Monday, it, it, it brings a lot of difficulties. Yeah, some yeah. may be able to drive along, but others will have some of these difficulties, which is why I believe they chose to go individual institutions, depending on your context. You make, so what we can think of is a, a template that they can then draw on to inspire. 11 years and I was responsible for, oh yeah, uh, starting the policy, the mandate on open access. And for us, it was not uh, difficult to have the open access mandate 
-hmm. accepted by the 26 universities that we have and the science councils and the six science councils that we had because everybody from the research side were saying they need the national funding agency to be the one who's driving the process. So it was then easier for us. And then also with the issue around repositories and indicating what needs to be in the repository and what do we mean by trusted repositories. So it was easier for us in that regard. Thank you so much. Any other challenge? Um, Said, what do you think is another challenge? What stops us from adopting open science within our institutes? As I said, there are only 36. Hello? Yes, we can hear you. Yeah, I think that the, there's a fundamental challenge of lack of understanding and appreciation of the concept. I mean, there are still many researchers, librarians, university management that still haven't come to terms with the reality of open science and open mm -hmm. access. People still don't understand the concept. So I think there's an issue about understanding. Probably we have not done enough advocacy to to educate people on this concept and the benefit of this concept. Then there's a lot of misinformation. Unfortunately, a lot of misinformation about this concept. You have no idea. This will be very helpful. As you saw also in my presentation about the African Open Science Platform, one of the things that I think we will be looking at, uh, that we will be looking at, is to develop a conceptual model for um, the ASP original note. Uh, together with maybe some template for guiding uh, these, these open science platform nodes. And I think this is critical because it allows us to have a framework uh, that we can also use going forward in terms of obviously uh, making sure uh, that we can provide adequate information about how we're progressing. So I think this is a discussion that uh, AAU can have and uh, at AHP we're very, very keen uh, to engage on this dialogue uh, platform with, with AA. Thank you very much. So on the way forward, will we want to defer this direction to the AAU? I, th I think this could be a recommendation that comes out of this uh, engagement that maybe AAU can look to set up an engagement to dialogue on this as a possibility and think about concrete steps of of how we can action that. Yeah, I think I think it would be a key key starting point. Here, the Open Science Recommendation from UNESCO, have got they've got implications for all stakeholders, including AAU. Uh, what do we propose uh, as a collective uh, to action going forward? That would be something that can that, that you can look at. Thanks. All right. Alternatively, and maybe complementarily. I think uh, some support organizations, for instance, my organization, we do work with many of these universities and research institutions to um, improve their, their, their capacities to do the work they're doing. So we can equally factor some of these into our engagements with them and um, work with the um, leadership to put some of these in, things in place, yeah. Absolutely. Um, I think I'll give you an example of uh, our case here in Zimbabwe, where um, initially the open access 
mandate was actually being driven by uh, university libraries through our own consortium of university libraries. And you find that uh, the open access uh, agenda was um, largely uh, disseminated, advocated for, and uh, appreciated in most universities. So we were at a, at a stage where uh, our, our university librarians were becoming comfortable and knowledgeable about open access. The open science uh, 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 paradigm, uh, instead of come on board uh, more recently, you know, compared to open access. And so most are now refocusing attention and uh, beginning to appreciate what open science is, notwithstanding the little differences that are there, but still to want to be able to advocate and uh, drive the open science mandate and start putting in place in their individual institutions, open science uh, 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 mandates. But at national level, as a consortium, we also tried to drive the open access mandate. So we were at that level now where we're beginning to engage with our government, with our parent ministry, to see if we can uh, introduce to have open access mandated as, a, as, as, as uh, taken up as a national mandate in the country. So we need now to go back again and recast and include it as open science. So, this, this, this has been some of the delays in, in adopting and implementing open science mandate in our, in our countries, because now people have to have that capacity. We need to build capacity amongst not only librarians, but even our researchers and academics, so that they also start to appreciate uh, uh, the open access uh, 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 mandate uh, uh, as a whole. Thank you. Uh, colleagues, I, I don't know whether there was a moderator. I think I just oh, okay, okay. Uh, yeah, uh, Prof, I think you can go ahead and continue the moderation. Please uh, go ahead. Myself, and, yes, please. Okay, okay. Okay, no, thank you. Uh, I think, I think uh, there was a hand up from Jasper. We had the Zimbabwean perspective there in terms of what they are doing and maybe going forward. Um, I think maybe maybe to be productive here, yeah, there were three main issues that were being asked for. That do we have any impediments as an institution acts regarding obviously uh, adopting and, and perpetuating open science practices? I think maybe that would be useful to, to us to consider that one. Can we maybe start there? Is there an institution here that is maybe in a position to concretely share what they consider uh, has been impediments. When they look at these UNESCO Open Science recommendations and the discussions held today uh, on open access and open science in general, um, whether uh, there has been, uh, in your view and experience, uh, some impediments in adopting uh, open science mandates in your institution. Do you have policies maybe you can start there? If I, if, if I may come in, can you hear me? Yes, sir. Yes, as I, as I, as I articulated, um, the major issues really are to do with uh, capacity, uh, where we need to build capacity, uh, not only amongst librarians, but also amongst our um, academics, our researchers, and so that they understand uh, uh, the details behind open science 
as I indicated earlier on, we had, uh, we had at least moved to some level of where people were beginning to appreciate and understand open access per se. But now we need again to go back and make sure that we all understand what we mean by open science, what it refers to, and uh, uh, who is involved, what sort of resources are there, data, how to, ac uh, to access the, da the data itself, scientific data, how to organize it, how to store it, and how to disseminate it. These are issues that we need to build uh, uh, in our own librarians and academic members of staff. So it is it, the, the issue of capacity to me is, is, is one important aspect that we need to consider. The other issue really refers to infrastructure, where mm -hmm. as, as, as issues were highlighted in the discussions, um, the matters of internet connectivity, which constantly in, is interrupted either to, due to power failure or, or limited bandwidth, you know, those issues. So to me, these are the two critical issues that, uh, that we'll need to, 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 to zero in and address uh, going forward. Thank you. Two minutes, uh, we have uh, just a, a, a few seconds to do. So I guess he's, he's spoken about two of them at the same time, what impedes us and how that impediment yes. can be overcome. The last one was yes. to do with timelines. So I guess when we get yes. to the main room, we have to look at the timelines we give ourselves in uh, achieving uh, uh, open science mandates rollout across the continent within the academic yes. institution environment. Indeed, this could be in months or in years, midterm, short-term, long-term. It doesn't have to be concrete dates. It could be a view yeah. right, what the timelines could be, yeah. yeah. So at, uh, we will soon be joining the main room, and I guess we can continue the discussions there briefly before we, we end the session for the day. We really have. I'm sure the, the, the 15 minutes have been too short for, for the discussions that should have been taking place. Uh, but we are welcome back. Um, I'll hand over to you, Joy, and uh, then uh, okay. we'll continue with your moderation. Okay. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for this. Um, we had a very interesting session, and in in our in our in our room, we had one of the universities that had already created an open science mandate. So um, we will start with Group One. What we are going to do right now is just have an overview of what we found out in our meetings, and pretty much uh, what the challenges are and what needs to be done. So, um, Mark, could you just, so what you're going to do in today's session, in this afternoon session, is just discuss what uh, one group will share with us what the challenges are, and then another group will share with us what needs to be done and the potential next steps. Each room was being recorded so that interaction would be used as a basis for a subsequent workshops. Uh, Professor Bolton? Professor Bolton, your hand is up. Um, oh, sorry, it, it, it's, uh, it shouldn't it's be. It's a up. legacy hand, no worries. It's, it's a legacy hand, yes. No, it's a third no hand. Okay, so Mark, please start by sharing us some of the challenges that you noted uh, as, as, as what was impeding the adoption of open science. 
Yeah, thank you, Joy. I think our group identified a number of uh, challenges. Uh, one, of course, was to do with uh, the fact that we have not been able to advocate the benefits and the reward system of open science to the research community. People are still reluctant sometimes to contribute to open science because they think that the system doesn't reward them enough. Then the, the issue of intellectual property was also mentioned. I mean, um, it's still not very clear. Uh, the policies differ from, from institution to institution, from country to country about the intellectual property of our contribution to open science. Then uh, one important challenge that came up was administrative challenges with our university management. And I, I'm happy they are here. The fact that some are refusing to even accept uh, papers that are published in open science and open access for promotion is a disincentive to many researchers and academics. There's also the issue of lack of understanding uh, and appreciation of open science concept by unfortunately sometimes academics and university management and even sometimes librarians and the researchers themselves. There's a lot of misinformation uh, about this. Some, sometimes a lot of untruth, half-truth are told about open access. Am I to go on? on I, 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 uh, Joy, these are some of the challenges that we identify. Yes. That's I, I, okay. 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 This is just an overview. That's okay. okay. So can mm. the next group, could you share with us uh, what needs to be done to mitigate some of the challenges? Just read out what needs to be done. So I think that was group two, and I, I, I'll report back um, in lieu of actually assigning anyone else to. Okay. Uh, so there were some really nice perspectives and different perspectives fed in, and um, some examples of where there was success with open science mandates are where there had been an initiative to lead at a national level. So either where it was the ministry getting involved or the National Research Fund, but actually that had helped institutions to then implement an open science policy of their own and also to make it consistent with others in a country as well. Um, but then also how, how institutions were trying to take this forward is engage with others, often via consortia and engaging with other institutions there. So a, a variety of, of um, situations and, and you know, some, some stating obviously that there was a, there was a lack of infrastructure in place as well at the moment, which was potentially stopping them taking things forward. But more generally on the same theme that there was more education and awareness needed around the benefits of open science and open access. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Group three, uh, could you share with us what next steps you discussed? What needs to be done next? Yes. I think I would, I would basically uh, just add a little bit, but basically what was discussed in the other two groups happened to be basically the same thing that we also saw or discussed okay. in the first group, the impediments and the way forward, more advocacy, more education, uh, support from the institutional management, and of course, uh, faculty members as well, in making sure that they are well educated on the things they need to do when it comes to implementing open science within their processes of research. And uh, that is basically what was also discussed on, the, on that group. So we, it looks as if all three groups have the same 
ideas as to how to tackle these issues of impediments and how to overcome the impediments. The next one was to do with how or by what timelines. Actually, our group was not able to get much time into that one, but the suggestion that was given was to look at it in the short-term range, medium-term achievements, and to look at the long-term opportunities that we have. So, practically, I guess that is how it should be looked at. How are we going to look at the short-term planning? What do we intend to achieve in the short-term uh, specific goals? Then, in the long, medium-term, what are we going to be doing? Uh, I think in the short term, we are, we are looking at the workshops that we intend to roll out over the next 12 months up to February or so next year over the five regional zones in Africa. So that could be one of the things we want to look at in the short term to be able to build capacities within the higher education institutions and to implement, uh, help them come up with policies, mandates, that would now be supported by the university, the university management. That is one thing that's also needed commitment on the part of the university management and to ensure that they are rewarding people who are implementing these things. I think they are keys. Okay. So um, thank you so much, everyone. What is very clear out of this is that one of the, the major things that was that has been impeding the adoption of open science is the incentivization, the incentivization of, of, of the use of open science or, or the adoption of the use of open science within the institutions and the outputs that come out of it. Um, Dr. Shioma, you have a, a comment? Yeah, Dr. No, thank you very yes, much, you have a comment? Joy. Yes. Yeah, thank you very much. I think, I think just to add to the colleagues' um, comments there on the group, there is also the issue raised by, by Professor Bolton there as a question, as an outsider, uh, thinking and asking maybe whether as AAU, could we maybe think can, about can, giving it? We can hardly hear. We can hardly hear. Please, can Please you speak raise up, your sir, Dr. Shiamo. Can, can you hear me now? Yes. Yes. Now, I was just commenting that there was a good suggestion or a question regarding maybe whether as AAU, we can look at maybe convening and looking to develop a shared mandate um, for open science in the continent. I think that would be very, very critical. Mm -hmm. You show in my presentation that I think as AOSP, uh, mm -hmm. we are also looking at developing guidelines um, for regional nodes. Um, I think this is important to make sure that we're on the same uh, platform. Um, so instead of maybe having multiple uh, shared mandates, I think that would be key. That is true. And we also remarked that uh, UNESCO, I think Anna is here to, to maybe uh, emphasize this, that UNESCO is also looking to develop some sort of toolkit for actioning this UNESCO open science recommendations. I think that would be a critical uh, instrument to have. And also some sort of repository of good practices as in when we learn how to do these things, we share some of these things. So I think those are some of the two things I can add. And of course, in terms of timelines, ASP itself has got some sort of timelines in terms of short-term plans and medium-term plans. Uh, already engagements like this are critical. The mm -hmm. development of these policies, I don't know how many institutions have got concrete policies uh, in place, uh, let alone uh, uh, implementing them. It will be very, very critical to provide a process to facilitate uh, institutions having those those policies. So I thought maybe we could comment on those. Thank you. Okay. And 
to be honest, this is why we are hosting these regional uh, workshops. There is no way we can have the, the AU can have uh, a continental open science mandate, which is which is adopted by their members without the buy-in. So primarily, this was the first meeting to get the buy-in to make you see that there is a challenge in the adoption of open science mandates within the institutes and what needs to be done. And this is where we are going at a regional level, at regional level, so that we can get the, uh, we can we can create the awareness and this could, this could be potentially seen as one of the major outputs. So yes, we are actually thinking in the same, uh, we, are, we are in the same thought process in hopefully looking at this as a potential output. Now, as I'm wrapping up, what I'd like to say is that, uh, this is the beginning of a series of regional workshops that we are going to host. And what we've noted as the biggest challenge is because of the lack of the incentivization and the lack of understanding on what open science is and the incentivization of researchers who are, who are, using, open, who are using open science practices or adopting open access as one of their as one of their research outputs they are very wary on how on whether the university will consider that as a means of of in, in using the, as a means of using that in including in, in 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 guiding them in getting promotions within the institutes or even getting potential funding now these challenges have come across from all the platforms that we all the groups that we were uh, we're listening to. So what is very clear is that number one is how the research office should perceive open science. They should see open science as an aider in increasing collaboration within the institute. Also a potential for increase, increasing resource mobilization because of the, the collaborations that come out of it. And also as a means of increasing its visibility. What about from the library? It should be seen as a, as a way in support supporting uh, the, the researchers in improving their research output. So the, these, these two offices need to work together and look at it from the lenses that help they respect their academic community, such that at the end of the day, they need to see how in turn they can support their, their, their respective academic communities and find a middle ground in coming up with a proper incentivized program because that is what came out across. We need an incentivized program for those, for researchers who are adopting open access and open science practices as a way of increasing their research output and visibility. I thank you so much for having made time for this meeting. We've, we've been in it for two and a half hours. This is the first of the meeting, uh, the first of these regional meetings that we are going to host. The, the, the immediate one is going to be hosted by the University of Dar es Salaam and it will be targeting universities in Eastern and Central Africa it will be a blended workshop and we are truly excited by uh, uh, we are truly excited by this uh, with this initiative and we are grateful for the fact that plus has been involved in this process from the word go and they will be co-hosting not only what they co-hosting this meeting but they will be co-hosting the subsequent workshop so plus TCC Africa and the, uh, the Association of African Universities. Remember, our main output out of this is to increase those open science mandates from 36 that are already registered. So with that, ladies and gentlemen, I thank you so much and do have a lovely day. Bye everyone. Thank Goodbye. you. Thank you, thank you. Thank you, bye. 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 Thank you, bye.
uh, colleagues who will share the slides with joy. Um, and I can see there's a message on the chat regarding writing a piece from the journalist. We'll share the slides so that you can write. I which I wish I appreciate that. Most appreciated. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Actually, the recording will also be available online for all to be able to view. We actually were streaming online during the session. We were streaming online on YouTube. So the link yeah. will be made available for people to go back and to look at it. Yes, indeed. And maybe Thanks you can so share Thank the... You so can have a mailing list of colleagues, but also for the AAU so that uh, in the future, uh, correspondence can also be shared. Thank you. Thank you, Abindiko. Thank you, Joy. Thank you, colleagues. Thank you. Have a good day. Thanks for joining us on today's episode of Mazam Gumzo Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and follow us on all our channels for more updates and for candid stories by researchers, policymakers, higher education leaders, and innovators on their journeys. See you in our next episode.